Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another marvelous episode of CFB Nation, hosted by me, Lever KT, a.k.a. the Governor of College Football. And look, week eight was fantastic. I know Nino's about to be on my head for this Oregon win. I just didn't see them win. I was looking at the metrics. I seen how poorly they played on third down. Defensively, I was like, there's no way they're going to be able to keep UCLA off of the field. But I was wrong. Bo Nix played the game of a lifetime. And, hey, that may help him get to Sundays at some point. Also, we're going to talk about that Clemson comeback. And we can't talk about that game without discussing the quarterback controversy there. Also, Oklahoma State was able to come back against the Texas Longhorns. Big 12 football in my opinion, right now, is the most unpredictable football. You don't know what you're going to get week to week. Last week looked like Oklahoma State was about to punish TCU. TCU was able to come back. Same thing with this Texas-Oklahoma State game. And then there were six. We only have six unbeaten teams in college football. And we got my, we got our boy, K Ford, is in the building. Y'all know who K Ford is. He's the ratings are. Also co-host of We Hate Your Team podcast with Zach King, the assistant commissioner of the Horizon League. And y'all know it's Monday, so Nino Brown is on the show, host of P2P with Boomer and DDP. Y'all got to check that show out. He has amazing guests each and every week. Make sure y'all check that out. I believe it's on Fridays. Also, the host of Dynasty Diamonds. And you know what? Nino's a real stand-up dude. He got roasted on his receipts. He got dunked on a few times last week, but he handled it like a champ. He was able to get box out of that corner. But let's get into it. <laughs> UCLA versus <laughs> Oregon. Uh, let's talk about some of the superlatives here. I talked about in the intro how great Bo Nix played. Game of his career, 22-28, 283 yards, 5 TDs. QBR, 96.3. Bucky Irvin had a good game as well. He had 107 yards with 19 carries on the ground. My pl- my opinion, the most gutsy play was this onside kick that they did. They went up 17-10, to 10, got the onside kick, then went up 24-10. to 10. I was like, uh-oh, I'm about to get dunked on today. Um... Oregon just played phenomenal, so let's start off. Let's go ahead and give Nino his shining moment. Nino, talk about <laughs> the Ducks, man. What was your biggest takeaways from this game? My my biggest takeaways from this game is, is the transfer portal and the change of scenery for Bo Nix. It's everything. Right? Outside of that first week, I said it. You know, I've been saying it for weeks now. Outside of that first week against Georgia where it wasn't really on neutral ground, Okay, Ford, we talked about that before. Um, he's been doing it, right? I watched the whole game. There were two throws that stand out to me to Franklin. Almost for the touchdown. It was an absolute dime. NFL Sunday throw straight. And then it was one in the third quarter, about six minutes left, down the left hash. He put it uh, on Franklin's back shoulder where only he could get it. It was literally in a keyhole, a rope to Franklin to keep the drive alive. I was balling, right? Um, is my biggest takeaway. The other one is Eugene owns Chip Kelly. Street, street, three <laughs> L's, bro. Three. You come in there, you know, and, and you think because this is the house you built, nah, homie. <laughs> they own you. Uh, and Franklin's is as real as it gets. Last four weeks, he's been on a tear. 380 yards, four touchdowns. Those are my biggest takeaways from this game. Uh, there's one more. Is UCLA is somewhat of a fraud, right? They got inflated, pumped up, and... and, and an Oregon team that everybody counted out took down the Giant. 
I, I would I would have to have to agree with that. I thought the true test for UCLA was when they played Utah. I'm like, if they're able to beat Utah, I give them a little bit more respect because I believe in the physicality in Utah. And we seen Utah was able to get a win against USC last week in Salt Lake. Biggest takeaways, K four. Yeah, the biggest takeaway for me is this is a Oregon team that's really really good, and I think we knew that going in, right? I know Nino, you were on Oregon to win this game. I was on Oregon to win this game as well, and the pick them that my buddy and I do with our podcast. I have Oregon power rated number 16. Oregon was a preseason pick of mine to make the Pac-12 championship game. I still think they're going to make the Pac-12 championship game. It's a really, really good football team with a lot of a couple games left to go, uh, but I think they're going to be favored in all of those as well. So I do think this is a team that matches up well with the majority of the Pac-12. Also worth noting, Dan Lanning, yeah, he had up to a very, very poor start that game against Georgia in Atlanta. It's his former team. He was coaching those guys on the, on the other side of the field just you know eight months ago at that time. It's not always easy for head coaches to implement their culture, their philosophy, their the way they want to run the program in the first year. You're seeing it with Mario Cristobal at Miami. You're seeing it with Brent Venables at Oklahoma. You've got to give Dan Lanning credit. Week one went about as poorly as you could have expected. They bounced back really well. They're playing great football now. And like I said, I expect them to be playing in that Pac-12 championship game against either USC or Utah. Uh, either one of those games I think is going to be really, really good. K Ford, I want to stay with you before we go back to Nino. What is Oregon's path to the college football playoff? What does that look like? So for me, Oregon's path, obviously they have to win out. So that's at Cal, at Colorado versus Washington, at Oregon State. My numbers give that an 18% chance to happen. So it's not good because that's not even accounting for that Pac-12 championship game where my numbers would have them be an underdog against either USC or Utah. Now, if they're playing UCLA again, my numbers would like them in that game. But still, you're looking at maybe a 9% chance at best to win out, including the Pac-12 championship games. Now you also need – you probably want – Georgia to run the table and be undefeated so that your only loss is to the 13-0 SEC champions. Uh, that would have Alabama have two losses. They're out. Tennessee would have one loss maybe in that scenario. Do you beat them? I'm not sure. Maybe with that Pac-12 championship. And then you need two out of three from the Big Ten, Big 12, and ACC to pick up a loss. So either Ohio State, Michigan, um, the, the winner there has to have a loss. Maybe TCU loses a game. Clemson loses a game. Like You can't have four other undefeateds or you're automatically left out. And even if there is another one loss undefe- or conference championship out there, I'm not sure you're guaranteed to be that team that gets in, but you absolutely have to run the table, which my numbers give that, at best, a 9% chance. So not good, but there is a path. Syracuse versus Clemson. We had a dandy of a game in ACC Atlantic Territory. Both teams unbeaten. We talk about number 14 in the AP post, Syracuse, taking on number five, Clemson. And immediately, almost immediately in the first half, I saw that Syracuse was the better football team. They handled early adversity, we looking in the first half. We we seen the big scoop and score off of DJU's fumble, and I'm looking at the way that they move the ball. I'm looking at how Schrader is able to make. He's making a proper read. He's going through this. He's going through his progressions, and we're looking at this team. I'm like, yo, Syracuse is really about to pull an upset. How is this going to shake up the the polls? And ultimately, Clemson ended up winning this game. But let's talk about some of the superlative so to speak of this game so we know that DJU had his worst performance of the season if we if we look at this game in totality we're talking about DJU having up until this point a pretty spectacular season but this game it, it was just the worst he had two interceptions he had a fumble that ended up being a scoop of score for Syracuse but luckily K Klubnik was able to come into the game and it's not that he did much 
throwing the rock. I think it was only two for four, but it seemed to get the team a shot in the arm. Jordan Shipley had a heck of a game, including a 60-yard run for a touchdown, 27 carries, 172 yards, two touchdowns. My biggest takeaway from this game is that what is that Bo Sweeney's going to do? Like, you look at this game, you look at DJU, how he has played. He was the ultimate leader even when he got benched. He was still telling K that he got this. It was great seeing that it reminded me of the Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa situation when both of them were at Alabama. Just seeing how well he handled it, I definitely got the utmost respect for DJ Uagalele. But let's talk about a couple of things. After the game, Dabo Sweeney said that DJ U was his starter. And I think a lot of fans down in Clemson country believe that K should be the starter. So I was surprised to see that that also reminded me of the Miami Dolphins situation where they had Tua and they had Ryan Fitzmagic and Tua would play like the first three quarters and Ryan Fitzmagic would come in and play the last quarter and somehow found out to win the game. But I want to let Dino Barbers know that he's he's running a fine program right now. Y'all know I'm a big fan of their offensive coordinator, Anae. I like what he did at UVA. I like what he's doing now with Syracuse. It was unfortunate that they really couldn't get it going offensively in the second half. But all's not lost for them. This is a great season for them so far. They're already going bowling at 6-1. and one, But I think they can be playing in a meaningful bowl, maybe even a New Year's Six Bowl. And all's not out for the college football playoff because you look at they pay in Clemson. They led a good portion of the game. Unfortunately, they weren't able to win. But those are some of the things – I was thinking about as far as moving forward with this K club, Nick DJU situation. I think Dabo is kind of who we think Dabo is. You, you think about the fact that Dabo really doesn't like Juco players. You think about the fact that Dabo really doesn't fiddle with the transfer portal. He's comfortable in his own skin. He's going to stick with DJU. I just wonder how long can this dance continue? They're idle this week. Uh, the week after that, they play Notre Dame. So they kind of get a really good eye test from a from a weird vantage point because I believe Syracuse plays Notre Dame this upcoming week. So they just finished playing Syracuse, so they get to see how Syracuse stacks up against Notre Dame, and then they get to take on Notre Dame. Those are kind of everything I, I had to say about this game in totality. Like I said, this quarterback situation is, is going to get ugly. I think at some point he's going to have to make a decision and stick with that decision, he being Dabo Swinney. Either A, He's going to stick with DJU for the rest of the season, no matter how well or poorly he plays during the game, leave him in the game or go with Cade Klubnik. Let him get all of the reps. That That's the thing. Cade isn't getting the reps. He isn't getting those first-team reps during the week. So it makes it hard when you're thrown into, you know, the type of territory he was down, thrown into down 11, and they was ended up being able to win this game. So let's get on to the next segment. We're talking about this thriller and still water Oklahoma, this game was really, really weird. It was one of my prediction games that I got wrong this week. The other game, of course, y'all seen when, you know, you know how, how he was getting at me in the first segment. But this was another game that I got wrong. I thought that Oklahoma State coming off the loss, the way that they lost to TCU because they led the game most of the game. And this was like the reverse. They, you know, were down most of this game, but they somehow found a way to beat Texas. Some of my – Instant thoughts. Quinn Ewers really struggled this game. After seeing him coming back from the injury, how well he played in the Red River rivalry, how well he played in the, the the weeks after that, you look at this game, you're like, no. He only completed 
roughly 30% of his passes. I thought that Steve Sarkeesian has to hold the L for this game as well because you had two running backs doing really well. Bijan Robinson, he was killing it. Roshan Johnson didn't really get enough carries. I think Bijan had 24. I think Roshan had seven carries. That's 31 total tur- carries. And I think if you up that number to 40, whether you give, you know, the rest of those nine carries to Bijan, or you give like six to Bijan, three to Roshan, they both had great games. What are we dropping back and passing so much? Um, also, there was big news coming after the game. The Texas song that they, they all sang after the game, win, lose, or draw, didn't get sung. I don't remember the name of the song, but I do remember that it had some controversy surrounded it. And the previous coach was saying, hey, if you guys don't want to sing it, you don't have to sing it. But Steve Sarkeesian, day one, said, you guys will be singing this, this the song. So they didn't sing it after this game. Steve Sarkeesian was basically saying, like, look, hey, we didn't sing it. It wasn't intentional. It was like, you know, it was, it was coming off an emotional loss, you know. They, they just completely forgot about it. So Oklahoma State wide receiver Bryson Green, he, he killed this game. Five catches, 133 yards, one touchdowns. Uh, what's next for Texas will kind of be my next question. Um, because I think many people believe that even with two losses, there was still a path for Texas to be playing in the college football playoff. Now that they're at three losses, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. I know they will look back at this game. I know, like I said earlier, Steve Sarkeesian will wish that he ran, ran the ball a little bit more. Uh, but these Big 12, 12 games are just weird, and I, I thoroughly enjoy Big 12 football. You know, SEC is still cream of the crop. Big 10 games, it, it depends on your, your taste. Those games are exciting for me, but for other people, they're a little bit boring because you're getting more pro-style offenses. But Big 12, it's where it's at. You get a lot of crazy games, and even when it looks like a team is down and out, they can find a way to win the game in the Big 12. So that's what next with Texas. I wonder what's Oklahoma State path to the college football playoff look like. Granted, they did lose at home, but they lost in the game where they led most of the game. They had a nice lead in the game. They did end up losing in overtime, 43-40. to 40. So when we start to look at a lot of these playoff scenarios, I truly cannot wait for the college football playoff rankings to start because we get an opportunity to see where does the committee mind that? How are, how are they feeling about the game? So when I think about instant reaction to this game, it's no way Texas should have lost this game. Steve Sarkeesian could have considered running the ball more. And then the, the heart of Oklahoma State, because the way they do it, it, is, it isn't pretty style football. You know, you're a lot of times you're getting – you know, Spencer Sanders, is, is, I don't even want to call it a heckling job because, you know, a lot of times, you know, if he can do it with his feet, he, he's productive. But, you know, from the pocket, he's still hit or miss sometimes. So I think those are my instant reactions when it comes to this game. So let's talk about Then There Were Six. This is an exciting segment that I, was, that I wanted to talk about. So coming into Saturday, I believe there were seven unbeaten teams course Ole Miss lost to LSU they actually got destroyed by LSU and it's crazy because other than Jaden Daniels LSU really wasn't able to run the ball but let's talk about the six remaining unbeaten teams and kind of get into the thick of things of of how this is going to play out and this is going to work well with our next segment with K4 talking about the college football his uh, most deserved rankings Uh, everything else he does is ratings but this is his most deserved rankings so Georgia of course, they're undefeated. Notable game. They play Tennessee November 5th. Mark that on your calendars. Ohio State, 
They play Michigan November 26th. And, of course, if they win that game, then they'll have to win whoever's coming out of the West. As of now, Illinois is coming out of the West. And I know what you guys are thinking. Well, that's going to be ugly. No. No, that's not going to be the game you think it is because I'm going to tell you right now, Brett Belima, I think what he's going to try to do is is what they do. Get a rock to Chase Brown, slow the game down, limit C.J. Stroud's touches. So don't just think if Ohio State beat Michigan that they're just going to steamroll Illinois. That game is just not going to work like that. Tennessee, Tennessee got a couple of notable games. This upcoming weekend, they play Kentucky. That game is going to be a tough game. I know Tennessee has looked phenomenal with their 7-0 start, but that game is going to be tougher than advertised. Also, Tennessee plays Georgia November 5th, as I mentioned earlier. Michigan, they play Ohio State November 26th. Clemson, Clemson, in my opinion, has the easiest path to college football playoff. You know, of course, they will have to win. ACC championship against a coastal team. I think that the most difficult game they got coming up is they're idle this week, this upcoming week. So the week after that, they play Notre Dame. But Notre Dame plays a team that they just played. So the eye test and what they'll be able to do as far as film is concerned. Like I said, I think Clemson got the easiest path. But TCU, I think their most difficult game is coming up November 12th. They play Texas. They also got a pretty decent path. But the thing about the Big 12 is the Big 12 doesn't have like a East, a West, or a North, or the South. The two best teams play in a conference championship. So we may be talking about a rematch with Oklahoma State. And if those two teams were to rematch now, yes, I picked TCU to win that game. But in a rematch, I would certainly pick Oklahoma State to win that game. So that's the then there were six segment. Not really much to talk about. I just wonder how long can we go. Of course, November 5th is the marker. We know not this upcoming week, but the week after that, we're going to lose another team. Uh, as far as these unbeaten teams are concerned, the things are going to get real interesting. I can't wait till the next committee writings. But let's go to the next segment. We're going to get to these K4 uh, rankings. We got a lot to discuss, a lot to talk about. Also, we're going to start doing the question of the day every Monday. If I get more questions, I got a really good question this week. But if I get more questions, I will try to squeeze in three or four questions every Monday. So y'all be ready for that. Let's get into this next segment. Um, so let's let's look at this most deserved uh, rankings. I, I love to see this. I know at your heart you are a ratings guy, but let's see what you got here. So you got Tennessee at number one on the most deserved, Ohio State at two, TCU at three, Alabama at four, Clemson at five, Georgia at six. So why Georgia at six on your most deserved rankings? Yeah, so it's catching some some heat and some eyes since Georgia's number one in the AP. Obviously, I have TCU up at number three. They are the lowest ranked of the unbeatens in the AP. So for the most deserving rankings, what I'm looking at is it's it's a merit ranking. It's resume rankings that describe how a team has performed against its schedule mm-hmm. relative to how the average top 25 team would be expected to perform against that same schedule. So basically, how much have you achieved against your schedule? Also incorporating an expected scoring margin. So how badly have you beaten or lost to your opponents? Mm -hmm. Again, all relative to what would be expected of the average top 25 team. So it's just a, it's a, it's a model. It's an algorithm that you put in all these inputs and these, the outputs are the rankings. And so 
basically what I'm saying is based on what Tennessee has achieved versus what would be expected for the average top 25 team to achieve against Tennessee's schedule and the manner in which they've won these games, they come out number one in that. And that's how you get one all the way down through number 131. Georgia is a really, really good football team. Mm -hmm. I have them power rated number three in the entire country behind only Ohio State and Alabama. That means on a neutral field, I think Georgia would beat Tennessee. I think Georgia would beat TCU. I think Georgia would beat Clemson. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what they've accomplished relative to what Georgia would be expected to accomplish so far this year, that's how they come out number six here. This is going to work itself out. And people don't like when I say that, but that's the truth. Like mm. Ohio State still has to play Michigan. Mm. Tennessee still has to play Georgia. Like if, if Alabama wins out, they will play the winner of most likely the Georgia-Tennessee game. So these teams are going to play each other. Things are going to work themselves out. But to this, a snapshot of this moment in time, this is how I'd stack up these contenders right here. And then you can see with the one-loss teams, of course, Alabama at number four, but then you've got Oklahoma State, Oregon, mm. Penn State, USC, Syracuse, two loss LSU up at number 13 after a really good win this past week. So um, yeah, it's, there's no bias. Uh, trust me. I wish certain teams were higher than others and lower than others based on who I like and where I wish teams would be. But uh, this is what the model says uh, when you put it all in there. And uh, it's, it's a very object objective view of a snapshot in time. So let's, let's talk about South Carolina a little bit. I, I like where they're at at 23. Um, we did see the debacle against Georgia. Also, they had a shaky game against Arkansas. But to be where they're at now, five and two, you know, there has to be some consideration for South Carolina because, once again, they're in the SEC. We know they play a tough schedule. So let's talk more about South Carolina at that number 23 spot. Yeah, so South Carolina has a couple really good wins. At Kentucky is a good win viewed by my model because what you're looking at is the power rating of your opponent. When you go on the road, it's even more difficult. So at, at Kentucky, home to Texas A&M. I know Texas A&M is not having a great year, especially relative to expectations, but it's still, relatively speaking, a good football team problem for South Carolina is they lost to Georgia. Okay, that's to be expected. You lost at Arkansas. Average top 25 team probably wouldn't have been expected to lose there. Again, mm -hmm. the bar is really high when you talk about the average top 25 team. And then your wins against Georgia State, Charlotte, and, and South Carolina State from the FCS, those aren't going to carry a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. South Carolina is not going to have a whole lot of upward mobility these next couple weeks. They got Missouri at home and at Vanderbilt. Those are two teams that are not power rated very highly right now by my numbers. But they do have a nice stretch to end the year at Florida, home to Tennessee, and at Clemson. If you win two out of those three games, plus your Missouri and Vanderbilt games, I mean, you're looking at a nine and three South Carolina. Absolutely. That's going to be a team that cracks the top 15, if not higher, uh, based on some of those teams that they will have beaten um, down the stretch here. So South Carolina, Shane Beamer's doing a phenomenal job. Uh, he's got that program, at least right now, it looks like trending in the right direction. So I want to see a little bit more, but yes, mm. this is a team with two losses sneaking into my top 25. They are only behind LSU, Kansas state, Texas up there with three losses and NC state as multi-loss teams in the most deserving rankings. Alrighty, so I'm going to get into the question of the day. Uh, I let everyone know that we were having you on the show. So while we got you, we need to definitely um, talk to some of the, the fans. And here was the question of the day. Brilliant question. So let's get into it. Alrighty, uh, engineer of the, the hype train. Of course, he's a Tennessee play, fan. Play on words. A, a nice pun, so to speak. If the scenario plays out where Tennessee's 11-1, lost to Georgia, know it. Of course, no SEC championship at that point. Georgia 13-0 SEC champ. Bama 11-2 SEC runner-ups. Clemson 13-0. And then he did correct that. He meant to put ACC champions. TCU 12-1 Big 12 champions. Michigan 11-1. Lost to Ohio State. And Ohio State 13-0 Big 10 champ. So I think we agreed in the green room that, you know, some of this is a wash. We kind of 
have an understanding for the top three teams. But I'm going to let you go ahead and do what you do uh, so well. What are what four teams in this scenario is getting to the college football playoff? Yeah, there's so many. First, Engineer of the Hype Train's a, a great follower of mine. I really enjoy when he asks questions and interacts. But mm-hmm. there's there's so many variables here because my numbers look at not just who you've beaten and, and how good they were at the time, how good are they at the end of the year, and then also the margin by which you beat them. So there's a lot of things that I can't put into my model yet because we don't have the data, like mm-hmm. on-the-field data, to go into the model. But just kind of viewing it holistically here, I think three teams are in easily. It's Georgia at 13-0. They're going to be in. I don't know about the order, but Georgia 13-0, Clemson 13-0, and Ohio State 13-0. Those mm-hmm. three spots are taken. Now, if you just look at the four remaining teams, Tennessee, Alabama, TCU, and Michigan, Tennessee, in my mind, would be in over Alabama. Um, they, they have one less loss at this point. The committee is going to value that. The committee is going to value the head-to-head. So mm-hmm. Alabama is going to be knocked out of this just by default right there. So now you have three teams, one spot, Tennessee, TCU, and Michigan. All of them with one loss. Michigan's only lost to Ohio State. Tennessee's only lost to Georgia. Those are two teams that are in the playoff in this scenario. TCU, we don't know who their loss is to, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think the committee is going to care. They're going to look at these three teams and say the margins are thin enough. We're going to take the team that has the conference championship, and I think they're going to put TCU in that fourth spot. And as of right now, I mean, it's hard for me to argue. I know I said I can't project forward what the most deserving are going to look like because there's so many unknowns that go into it still, but I have TCU number three right now. So Mm -hmm. I'm already giving TCU much more respect than the AP poll and many other people out there. So for me, it's pretty clear cut who the top three are you can make a case for that number four spot I think it goes to TCU and I think Alabama is most certainly left out uh looking in here so good question I think that's how the committee would stack them up and uh, it'll be really interesting to see if that actually comes to fruition here in a couple weeks wow (laughs) and I think you broke that down in the spirit of how the committee looks at things like you said, they, they they value that conference championship. And when we go to the 12-team the playoff, conference championships will be valued as well. So K-40 is a real sh- treat. Like I said, make sure y'all check them out on We Hate Your Team podcast. Sister Commissioner of the Horizon team, thank you. We definitely got to get you on this show again. We might even have to do a Tuesday episode post-committee uh, ranking so you can kind of dive into what you think their thought process was. We appreciate you. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and get into this closing. Thanks, KT. All righty. Thank you, everybody, who tuned into this episode. A special shout-out to K Ford. Real treat whenever we have him on the show. Shout-out to my boy Nino. I enjoy doing these Monday episodes. Like I say, when the committee starts doing the rankings, I'm going to try to find a way to do an instant reaction. Probably won't be a full-fledged show set up, maybe about a 15-minute rant that I'll release in a podcast form, format. But you all already know. Thursday morning, I should have my predictions for this upcoming weekend. I can't believe uh, K4 said in the green room, we are already in week nine. As I always like to say, do something nice to somebody you normally wouldn't do. Always pay it forward. Peace and love, peace and blessings, and until next time, put that finger in the air. One.